Chris Jomar Dutu at the Press of Atlantic City. In this episode of Something in the Air podcast, we are doing our South Jersey Climate Roundup for another active month, which was July. And join with us the man himself, the state climatologist for the state of New Jersey, Dr. Dave Robinson. Dr. Robinson, how are you today? I'm just fine, just fine. It sounds like you are as well. Yes, yes. I, uh, you know, we were talking off camera. I met Swayze, my favorite musician of all time. Met him in Philadelphia last night. Got a picture with him. He signed my iPod from six years ago. We were talking. I'm just on cloud nine right now, even though I slept about five hours and you know overnight. But we're here. We're here for you guys. Uh, give me the latest on the weather. That's so, if I had only heard of that guy before, I could understand it. <laughs> well, yeah, you shut me down already. Yo. Uh, as of all my cloud nights, I don't know who he is. That, that's okay. That's okay. I will have to catch you some songs. He talks about weather a lot in his songs. He's also from SoCal. So, you know, I guess when you're from there, you can talk about all the very uh, beautiful days during December and January when it's 70 degrees and it is not here. But. Speaking of uh, weather, we have a bunch that happened during the month of July. We had heat, we had storms, we had tornadoes. We're going to talk a little bit about upwelling here as well. So let's start off like we do every time. Let's talk about temperatures. Uh, let us know where South Jersey ranked in terms of temperatures. At AC Airport, we took the metal podium for third place with 79.7 degrees. That's when you average the high and low temperatures. And we just missed out on second place. So how do we do region-wide? Yeah, re- reason why not quite as extreme, um, but it was three degrees above average, which is pretty impressive for a summer month. The average was seventy-eight seven, and we're we're talking Middlesex, Mercer, Monmouth County, South. So it's a big swath of the state uh, that ranks sixth um, uh, uh, on oh, excuse me seventh, and, and we're still waiting for some numbers to come in, but. It's going to be around seventh. It's, it's a lot to be in the top ten. And in this case, we're talking about going back 125 years, so the seventh warmest. Um, what's really startling statewide, it looks like we're going to end up about seventh, fifth to seventh as well. And of statewide, of the eight warmest Julys since 1895, Six of them have been in this decade. Mm-hmm. And it comes as no surprise that as the climate continues to change, we will see more and more of that. And uh, we'll touch on that in just a little bit. But just kind of breaking it down, I, you know, when we were talking last month, we were saying how those low temperatures really drove the numbers for an above, another above average June. Now, at least at the airport here in Lake City or in Galilee, I should say, they were both in the top five. It wasn't like there was extreme, you know, they were both extreme in terms of the top five, but the maximum minimum low temperatures were both in the top five. Do you know the same played out for a whole region? Yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, it was the sixth warmest July for maxes, but only the ninth for minimums. So it really didn't play out um, with the minimums coming up this month. There, there was more sunshine. Um, the southern part of the state, the sun, Despite, as we'll talk about, some real wet spots, um, there was quite a bit of dryness in the south compared to the northern part of the state. So I think we saw enough sun um, that it uh, brought the daytime temperatures up. 
Um, and, and there were enough clear skies at night that it didn't become particularly pronounced. So, yeah, I, I scratched my head a little bit about that one, but you're absolutely right. It's not as if the higher minimums were what brought this month into the top ten. It was just as much the maximum. Yeah, and you know, it was actually beautiful because we had a couple of mornings right before our heat wave where you know, down here you had the windows open at night, even the first couple hours of daylight, you can go out the air conditioning, walk outside, exercise, all that, and it was really nice, but then... And it was a big switch. We got into a heat wave. Now, at AC Report, it was a seven-day heat wave. And it all kind of culminated, culminated, accumulated, 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 with our first, culminated, thank you, I knew I wasn't saying that right, culminated with our first 100-degree day since 2012, and that occurred on Sunday, July 21st. Um, right. now, another fun fact I'd like to point out, too, was actually we had our first 92-degree temperature by 10 a.m. So it was never 92 or greater by 10 a.m. in Atlantic City or National Airport. Records go back to the 1940s. But going back to 103 days, let's just talk, can you briefly talk about that heat wave and then answer the next question is, have we seen a trend in the number of 100 degree plus days in New Jersey over time? Right. 100, as, as you mentioned, 100 degree plus days, pretty, pretty rare in New Jersey. And frankly, uh, aside from AC Airport, there were only a couple of other stations on both the one on the 20th in Harrison outside next to Newark. And then there were several stations on Sunday, the uh, 21st. Uh, yeah, the 21st. Mm-hmm. Um, I hit 101. Um, and those and the, locations, too, right? Not to cut you off, but it was Point Pleasant and Seaside Heights, correct? It was really strange. It was Seagirt, Point Pleasant and Seaside Heights. Um, Other than that, and Atlantic City at 100, and as I recall, Harrison might have hit 100 that day too. I'm not sure. Um, Nobody else hit 100. There were a load of 99 degree temperatures. Hardly any at 100 and three at 101. Um, I'm still, again, scratching my head again. Why? Obviously there wasn't a sea breeze that day. There was about a two hour sea breeze at Harvey Cedars out on LBI that took the temperature down in the mid-80s for a couple hours in the early afternoon. Then it went back up into the mid-90s again later in the day. Um, you know, I can understand it being that hot along the coast, but why it was hotter than inland, uh, and there was no difference in cloud cover, um, it's just some little quirk, particular wind direction, uh, a little bit what we call down sloping as you came off the Piedmont down into the coastal areas of North Jersey, uh, the North Jersey coast, I should say. Very, very interesting. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. It would be worth looking at a little more completely, although we're, we're splitting hairs a little bit with a degree here or a degree. Sure, sure, absolutely. Can I, I actually had a theory, maybe you can explain this or you know, maybe prove it, and you're right, going back to the downsloping, but is it possible that there was just a little extra downsloping coming off of the highlands to those areas on that westerly flow that made it a little more warmer there along the shore? I don't think it would have made it down. I don't think there's enough elevation or would have made it down to seaside heights. Hmm, fair enough. I'm very particular with the wind direction um, on what was going on that day. Um, maybe even a little bit of a pressure field 
where the highest pressure was sitting over that co- northern coastal area. So a little more what we call subsidence, uh, sinking air. And as air sinks, it compresses. And as it compresses, it warms. And all the ingredients might have been just ideal up along the North Jersey coast, while elsewhere there were some slight differences just to result in those couple degrees difference. You know, for, for you listeners, you know, we're getting into the weeds a bit, but I know if you listen to us, you like to get into the weeds too. Uh, and, and also, I think it's very instructive to say that we don't always know right off the top of our heads exactly why these things are happening. So there's always something to look into further, something that needs study, something that lacks complete understanding. And I think that's real important for people to understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, science is, you know, making theories and trying to prove them, and sometimes we don't know it all. Uh, but let's get out of the weeds a little bit here, and let's just talk about it. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, let's get back to your original question a little bit. Um, we have not seen an increase in the number of 100-degree days around the state. Uh, they are rare, um, but that's not what we're seeing in this warming climate. We're not necessarily seeing more record highs being broken. There were very few ho- record highs broken in that heat wave. Um, but what we're seeing is more persistent heat um, day after day in the upper 80s and 90s. Not as many days where cool air comes in from Canada. You know, I came in a couple times this month, knocked down the temperature for a day, maybe two, and then we're right back in the heat again. So it, it's not necessarily the extreme nature of the temperatures in this changing world. It's more the persistence, the frequency of warm air masses as opposed to cooler air masses. So that can make for a longer summer. It can make for a more incessant uh, warm spell, but doesn't necessarily mean, and we've not seen, more days over 100. Got it, got it. All right, well, thanks for the insight on that. Um, switching gears to precipitation, we had strong storms a couple days, July 6th, July 11th, the 31st. I know I'm missing a couple there as well, but just to name a few, those are a couple of them. But how did South Jersey fare as a whole through the month of July? As a whole, average 5.33 inches. Um, that's 84 one hundredths above average, um, but it ranks 39th out of the last 125 years. So it's in the upper third, um, but nothing too excessive. Um, North Jersey was a little bit wetter than that, but still not overly excessive. But, of course, as we often see uh, in summer months where we get our rain, albeit if there's no large tropical system just soaking the entire state, we tend to get the rain in these hit-or-miss showers. And sometimes you'll go weeks and not get hit, while somewhere not too far distant seems to always be in the crosshairs. And, boy, was that the case this past month in South Jersey. Mm -hmm. And you have one location that really uh, topped out there on the metal podium, right? Yeah, Stafford Township. Um, we have a couple of observers up there, and there were even stark differences around that that township. But one of those stations caught 13.29 inches of rain in July, and that included two days, two separate events 
where they had five in, more than five inches. So twice they had much more than an average month's worth of rain. Twice in one month. Yeah, yeah, that was incredible. And there was some really insane footage from uh, Stafford. There's actually one where uh, right off of Route 72, it looked like a river was going through the area. So, yeah, and like you said, during the summer, it's really, you know, the same one place, you know, oh, broke a record, daily rainfall record. Well, it just could have easily been the other place, too, if a thunderstorm came over there. Um, literally, literally just blocks away from the, that location, one of our other volunteer observers had um, eight, what was it? It, it was eight inches for uh, for the month, 8.7 inches. So this observer had four and a half inches less, but still was clobbered, but not getting five inches, getting three and a half inches. And that just shows how very localized these drenching rains are. And these days, thanks to our many volunteers in our our Cocoa Ross program, including you at, at the Press of AT, yeah. we have more observers than ever. I can definitely say that 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had this, this network didn't exist more than 11 years ago, and we wouldn't have known that much rain fell. We would have had reports of the flooding, of course. Um, so it's really a credit to all our observers out there that are letting us get a, a hyper look, a hyper sensitive spatial look at, at these rainfall events. And we can see how important that is when we are trying to understand flooding uh, and, and sometimes the opposite side, drought. Yeah, and you know, like you said, with Coco Ross, our community observer network here, I always try to tell people, I say, if you're taking rainfall totals, and I'll see it on Facebook or Twitter, but if you're taking rainfall totals already, just you know, just for fun, really consider joining Coco Ross, because not only are you doing what you're doing already, but you're helping out people like Dr. Robinson, even people like myself, to see you know, what is happening in the state. And as you have mentioned in our Coco Ross article we did last year, it can be used in the record books. So... You have the chance to make the record books possibly if you join Coco Ross. Absolutely, and and it's good to be able to compare and contrast with with your neighbors as well, even in the same even in the same community. Mm -hmm. um, but as we we're saying, it's not as if all South Jersey got soaked like that in, in July. There were areas that had below average rainfall, and I should say average again, is in about the four to four and a half inch range. Um, not too far south of AC, you go down to Cape May County, and you had down in Wildwood Crest, we had two observers there. One had but 1.44 inches for the entire month. The other observer had 2.13 inches. Now, mind you, up in Stafford, that much rain fell in less than an hour in one of their events, and they had multiple events. Down in South Jersey, you know, um, down Middle Township, mm -hmm. 1.6 inches and 2.64 inches. So the southern part of your readership area took it on the chin, and it's been pretty dry. Um, meanwhile, just to your north, it was the exact opposite. Mm. Mm, sure, and, and with all this rain came severe weather. Again, the big story, we are still leading 
uh, year to date with the number of tornado warnings and severe thunderstorm warnings that have been issued by the National Weather Service. Now, not every warning brings a tornado or severe thunderstorm, but the point being, it remains very active. And on July 6th, we had a tornado in Mount Laurel and another one on July 11th uh, also uh, in that area as well. Now, last month, you said the number of tornadoes you know, haven't been unusual, even though it is above our average of two. So just explain for the people again why, even though we're at, I think my count is at five tornadoes uh, so yeah. far this year, you know, why it's maybe not nothing to sound the alarm over in terms of being really, really active. Well, no, I, that's well within the the margin of the range from one year to the next when you have that those few tornadoes. Um, if we get up into double digits, we're talking about something not unprecedented but unusual. So to have five, uh, not that excessive. Uh, mo- they've all been in the EF0, EF1 range, so n- none have been strong. One of them last month in Mount Laurel, was essentially in a parking lot and over top of one building. And it got caught on video. Uh, A car got, a lightweight car got flipped in a parking lot and some um, air conditioning units, I believe, were blown off a roof. Um, In the past, without that documentation, with that video, it might have just been considered a little downburst or what we call straight line winds. So you have to be real careful how you play that out. But that's about the tiniest tornado you could possibly have. Uh, No one was hurt in any of these, let me add as well, because that one, despite its really tiny extent, it could have seriously injured someone who was near that car or who was uh, in in that building, perhaps. Sure. Yeah, we are thankful we haven't had, uh, you know, much in the way or no, you know, fatalities like you said. And anytime you see a tornado warning, you got to go indoors as close to the center of your house as possible, preferably in the basement and away from windows. Um, now, with the storms that we had this month, it's, you know, kind of a thing where you have the big time heat and the big time storms. We saw it after our heat wave, the big heat wave, uh, I should say, the one that ended uh, on the 20, where am I at? The 20, I'm out of days here right? The 22nd, uh, early uh, in that week, we had that. And then even on the 31st, when we broke our heat wave, we had severe thunderstorms across the area. So, why is it that big time heat often comes with these big time storms? Well, you know, you, well, it also comes with an air mass change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when you get lift. It helps promote lift. It's like a bulldozer coming in this cooler air, and already it's running into an air mass that's been primed by getting very hot and often very moist, and that makes the air very, very buoyant. And by itself, it may lift up and throw out thunderstorms. But when you've got that plow coming in, that cooler air coming in, it gives it an even greater lift. And that's when uh, everything can break loose uh, and you get your stronger storm. So they're often associated, um, at least the widespread outbreaks are often associated with this, with an air mass change. And as you said, uh, twice it was very stark um, this past month. We had other days with other storms, of course, but those two instances, it was, think of it as an air mass replacement, and sometimes you have to pay, <laughs> pay the price. Right. Somewhat cooler, and often in the summer, I hate to call them cold fronts, because I, I often will call them just kind of a dry front, 
They just bring in drier air, not necessarily air that's that much cooler. Um, although, you know, the, the first one that broke the big heat wave brought in some cooler air. Um, this one breaking on the 31st, not so much cooler as drier. Sure. And sometimes even uh, cold fronts or whatever dry fronts during the summer can bring warmer air the next day because the drier air means it's quicker for the sun or the sun can heat up the ground quicker. So you can get that sometimes too. Yeah, and you have fewer clouds. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah, sure. It's real. Tr- it gets tricky in the summer, but you know that's that's why we have these these storms, and, and that's oftentimes why the storms aren't as strong down along the coast and sparsely explains why down in Cape May County. uh, And that is because the air isn't quite as unstable because it's got this, what we call maritime influence, the cooling of the slightly colder, cooler water surrounding the peninsula there. Um, And that helps to take the legs out from under these storms. It doesn't promote as much lift in the atmosphere because the air down near the surface is a little more stable than up the coast or certainly inland. Mm-hmm. And as some of our friends down in Cape May County would say, that is part of the Cape May bubble. Now, speaking of water, uh, let's talk about water temperatures just real briefly here because I found this to be interesting during at least the second half of the month. So I had Atlantic City, you know, measures water temperatures there. And we went from 73 degrees of water temperature, not bad, pretty, pretty mild on the 22nd, and we went down to 57 on the 23rd and then we were in the upper 70s from the 27th to the 29th. Now, this is from something called upwelling. And to make a long story short, what happens with upwelling is that the warmer top layer of the water gets kind of pushed away out the sea. And deeper water, which is colder, and actually more nutrient-rich, gets fed back up. You usually see that on a south or a southwest wind. So my question to you is, you know, have we seen any kind of climate trend with upwelling? Like, is it possible we're going to see more of these drastic switches in water temperatures over a short period of time? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something I don't know if anyone's looked at. I have talked to our marine group here uh, about coastal temperatures and, and, and sea breezes and, and, and whatnot. Um, one would think if our atmospheric circulation is changing with warming and bringing us more southerly flow, more southerly southwest flow into the area, we should see the upwelling more often. When you get the west and northwest flow, um, that it doesn't promote upwelling. You may think that's strange. The westerly winds would just push the water offshore and allow the upwelling water from below. But that has to do with Ekman transport, which you essentially, as the winds come along the coast, it turns the winds to the right, and so thus a southwesterly wind helps to push the water offshore much more so than a wind coming in from the west. Um, and northwest wind can actually push the water up to the shore. So it's 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 a funny thing. It's ironic that the warmer the air generally in New Jersey, along the coast of Jersey during the summer, the cooler, the colder the, the um, surf temperature sure. might be. Um, and it's the inverse of what mine might think, but it's all a function of wind direction, air, air flow, and upwelling. Got it. 
Got it. And we'll keep on the water theme here. Talk about the tropics. And August is when we really start to heat up in uh, terms of the water temperatures also rising and more tropical systems here. And you know, so far, we've been, I mean, relatively calm and except for Barry. But um, we have a pretty much a large area of high pressure in the mid-levels of the atmosphere. It's been kind of stunting a lot of the growth, some Saharan air too. But um, I got a two-part question for you. I mean, how do you see our threat level for hurricanes this year, our tropical systems, at least compared to average? And then maybe a background question would be, how easy slash difficult is it for New Jersey to receive a direct landfall from a tropical system? Yeah, well, part one, it, it's very difficult to look at one particular coastal area uh, more than perhaps yeah, we could do ahead. Um, you can start to see patterns develop where there might be a corridor or an alley for a storm coming out of the um, Caribbean or coming out of this uh, the, uh, tropical, subtropical Atlantic, and it would have a weakness in the atmosphere that would allow it to come up the coast. Other times you'll see a high-pressure ridge along the east coast, and that way you know that storm is going to be blocked from coming up the coast. You can see those a week or two in advance, um, but it's very difficult to project that a month or two ahead. So uh, the, the general thinking uh, of the hurricane forecasting community is that it's going to be close to an average year. Um, now, don't look at what's happened so far in that regard. Um, this is when things really start ramping up. By this, I mean when you start getting into August. Um, the season climatologically peaks uh, about the 5th to the 10th of September. So this is really just the beginning. Um, so could we be in the crosshairs for a storm later on? I, you know, absolutely. We've already gotten a little bit of that remnant moisture you mentioned from Barry, um, but that doesn't really count. Uh, we're talking about a, a, an Irene, a Floyd, uh, uh, God forbid, a, a Sandy, or what have you. Um, and that brings me to the second part of your question, that is um, landfall. Um, it's, it's difficult to get a landfalling hurricane this far up the East Coast um, when your, your coastline is primarily north-south oriented, which generally New Jersey is. Um, by the time storms get into the middle latitudes, they tend to start feeling the effects of westerly wind flow uh, in at different levels of the atmosphere, and they the storms tend to curve out to sea. Um, so you can appreciate with a north-south facing coast, it's very difficult to get a landfall without that storm having something of a westerly trajectory to it. Now the storm may come inland over North Carolina or south east Virginia and come up over or to the west of us, but it would have lost a lot of its punch. Or it could curve and go further offshore and give us wave action, uh, rip currents, and, and what have you. But to have a storm make direct landfall, um, very unusual. Um, sandy, extremely unusual, and mind you, it wasn't a hurricane or a tropical storm at landfall. It was close. Um, there was a storm back early 20th century that's debatable whether it was tropical storm or a weak hurricane. Uh, it's called the vagabond storm. Yes. 
1900. Um, uh, it came in came in around Atlantic City and headed up towards Trenton. Uh, and then you've got the hurricane of 1824, um, which might have made a second landfall. It may have made a landfall in Delaware, but it made um, its second landfall around Cape May uh, and took a track up about the current position of the Garden State Parkway and wrecked havoc in New Jersey, Philadelphia, and New York City. Um, that may have been a Category 2 some think even a minor Category 3 storm um, when it made landfall. But that took the perfect geometry where it just paralleled off the coast and then cut in Cape Henlopen, maybe um, Cape May. Um, so really tough to get direct landfall. But you don't need a direct landfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hurricane of 44, for instance, rode Ordana in 1960 rode just off the coast and really put a hit on coastal Jersey. The hurricane of 38 was a little bit further off the coast. It gave us a lot of rain, but given that Long Island and southeastern New England are oriented east-west, it made direct landfall in Long Island, eastern Long Island, and up into southeastern New England and killed um, 700, six, 700 people. Um they, they are more vulnerable to taking a direct hit uh, than the Jersey Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. You don't need a direct landfall. I know I asked that question, but you really don't. There's anywhere, you know, as long as it's near you, you can get the, the risk from the waves, and especially the coastal flooding, too. You can still get plenty of coastal flooding if it doesn't make a direct landfall, even though you know, New Jersey... Thankfully, doesn't get a lot of direct landfalls. All right, so I know we're running a little bit long here, although I think the conversation's been pretty good. But l- let's just wrap up real quick. What's new with the uh, state climatologist's office? What are you looking forward to? You got about one more month before school starts there at Rutgers. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. No, no, I'm looking forward. To- I have a, a, a climate class coming up this fall, um, and, and then I've got a, a seminar uh, for incoming incoming freshmen, um, what we do, uh, small seminars to, you know, kind of introduce the students to a subject of interest to the professor, uh, very informal type thing. And that that's something uh, called uh, New Jersey Climate Change, and the subtitle is From um, Polar Bears to Palm Trees. <laughs> Did you think of that? A lot of fun with that, talking about climate change and and getting no freshmen. Freshmen understand that professors aren't these guys just sitting in large lecture halls and such. So I love that course. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a 10-week seminar. Um, but I also have a more formal climate course coming up. So I really I do enjoy the teaching. It, it just adds another dimension to my busy schedule. And uh, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, you're teaching the uh, next generation about climate change, which is very important here for the state of New Jersey. Unfortunately, I never took a class with you, but I'm, I'm trying to, like, slowly make up for it by doing these with you. That, that's kind of what happens in my mind. I feel like I'm learning from you as I talk to you. So oh, that's, that's great. No, we'll go with that's that. why I like podcasts. I mean, this is, this is informal education. Yeah, 
Absolutely, and you know, we get people. I've had people email me. I've had people message me. You know, say that they're listening. And you know, to your point, it is. You know, I think a lot of you here, if you're listening, you are. You know, like you like to get a little bit into the weeds about the weather. So that's what we're trying to do here, a little bit more than what I'm doing with our videos and our our seven-day forecast they see in the press. And I mean, there's really not much of a more knowledgeable person about the climate of New Jersey than the person that I am talking to right now. And we're going to hope he stays around for a very, very long time. But uh, I'll let you make that decision. I won't make that one for you. <laughs> well, well, well I, I guarantee you we'll be talking for the next couple months. <laughs> All right, good. At least I got a couple months with you. Yeah, after, after maybe 2020, different story. Uh, but... No, 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 no. Professors just kind of gradually fade away. I'm I'm in for a while longer. Well, I mean, you shine very bright, so it's going to take you a while to start fading away. But uh, just let us know, let everybody know here where they can find more climate information, where they can find the yep. New Jersey Climate Network as well. We'll wrap up. Great. For long-term data and information and my monthly narrative, njclimate.org. And if you want to get onto our website with the, the latest Conditions updated every five minutes from our weather network is njweather.org. Wonderful. And that was our episode of Something in the Air podcast. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much. We will chat. Yikes. At the beginning of September here. So yes. Falls on the way. Fall is on the way. Although I'm going to say, I hope it's like last year and September was really just like another month of summer for us. So that's just well, me. And I, we can talk about that beginning of next month because that's been what we've seen more and more. Um, summer lasting and summer hanging on, which is just great for the shore. Yeah, absolutely. You know, tourism down here, which lots of promotion down here, especially in Cape May County. You do a great job of saying come down during September. You know, you get plenty of beach days in September. Even October, you can sneak one in. So, uh, yeah, you know, that is a good thing uh, for the tourism industry. All right, Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for the time. We will be back with you guys with the South Jersey Monthly Roundup here at the beginning of September. We'll have more podcasts, something in the air.